Red Raiders. Hello, Thread Raiders. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, freaks and geeks, one and all, welcome to the Thread Raiders podcast. What started as a small uprising on Twitter has turned into a movement to spread goodwill among all creators. With the occasional side quest for spoons and Rita's water ice. Yeah. I'm one of your many hosts, David Steele. And I am Fenwald Griswick. Yay! We are CA-less. That's right. What's going on? CA was not able to make it today, uh, but we're going to try to uh, hobble on without her. Yes, it'll be hard to do, but yeah, life, you know, life happens. Everybody knows that, so. Well, we know she's like the, uh, you know, the person who keeps us from tearing each other to shreds, so. (laughs) (laughs) So this could be a fun show. One of us is going to drop an elbow, I can feel it. (laughs) Luckily, uh, CA was able, maybe because she had too much of a busy weekend, that's why she couldn't make it, really. Uh, We know she was at the New Jersey GamerCon and uh, she hung out there all weekend playing some games and got to meet up with Dan Cattell, the awesome cosplayer that we talked about uh, in our last show, right? When we talk about him? This was the guy, he was like two-dimensional. He was like yeah. a 2D uh, Metroid It looks like the pixelated like characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he got a ton of hits. A lot of people checked it out and redid it. And, I'm sure uh, it reposted did. it. Anyway, so she got to talk to him. He is part of Too Many Games, and so uh, we'll be playing that interview for you now. All right, so we are here at the New Jersey Gamer Con with Dan Cattell. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. Yeah? That yeah. is awesome. So I actually met you at Too Many Games, and you right. did an amazing cosplay <laughs> that people seem to really love. Yeah, people actually, just from seeing my, my clocks that I'm selling here, Two people came up and asked me if I was at too many games. Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's like that uh, that close. Yeah. yeah, you've started like a whole new fashion trend yeah. for a cosplay, I feel. Yeah. Now, how did you get into it? So, I, 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 it was Otakon 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, the year before, I was trying to think of a costume th- that I could bring. Uh, I wanted to do something that was inexpensive and just rely on my creativity. Right. And... Uh, you know, I just wanted to come up with something that nobody had ever seen before and do it for next to nothing. Yeah. You know, and that that's a tall order. But I came up with this idea. Um, I started with uh, the Chozo from Super Metroid. And um, it was after seeing somebody else do a, a cardboard costume. Somebody did one of the prawns from District 9 all out of cardboard. And uh, I, I set out to try to adapt the, uh, the sprite work into uh, a costume. Because I have an animation background. Right. And, oh, is that um, what you go to school for? Yeah, I went to Rutgers, and I got my bachelor's in animation from there. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so how did you make the cosplay? You said it's out of cardboard? The first two that I did were cardboard. Um, I did the Chozo statue, and then I did Samus from Metroid. Uh, and the third one, um, I showed them to Rutgers, and they gave me a research grant to do Ridley. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, Ten feet tall. I did them to scale with Samus. Yeah, it's funny. I, I called it. I called it sculpture, and they gave me money. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and there's pictures on your website for it, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, and what's your website? Uh, I'm uh, on Facebook. I'm Dan Cattell Art, two T's, two L's. 
Uh, on Instagram, it's the same thing with underscores in between them. Nice. And they can buy your work too, right? Yeah, yeah. If you contact me, I have stuff that uh, I've already got uh, made for conventions, and I do commissions too. Yeah, I see that you have some beautiful clockwork here. And you make Thank these you. all handmade? Yeah, everything's hand cut that I have here. And about how much does like an average clock go for? So if people want to come out and the see it? The range, most of them are in between 10 and 35. Nice, wow. And how long does it normally take to make one? Um, it depends. Uh, some of them I can get done in maybe 15 minutes, the simple ones. In the back, I have this Dr. Robotnik pendulum clock with the wrecking ball swinging back and mm -hmm. forth. It's all pixelated. Uh, I got every pixel on there is hand cut, and that probably takes maybe an hour, hour and a half to cut. Wow. The detail on it is amazing that Thank you have you. there. Now, you're going to be at future conventions as well? I will be. I don't think I have any booked right now, though. Okay. That's cool. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to do your cosplay? If the normal clock, I mean, it takes a few hours. You know, it's, it's really hard to figure out. Um, the, the, the clocks and the stuff that I sell at conventions, I stopped doing them painted because my work's more about the sculpture. Right. Uh, so these clocks are all printed. Uh, on cardstock and then adhered to Coroplast. Mm -hmm. The costumes, I'm still hand painting them, um, partly because of the size and because it's easier to repair if they get scuffed up because they're moving around so much. Right. You can't, you can't really repair uh, scuffs on something that's printed. No, I'm sure. Uh, it, the Space Pirate, one side, uh, all hand painted, cutting it and gritting and everything, that took about a day to do. Uh, but the planning took a lot longer because I have to work out the proportions and everything. It has to hide all of me and the joints have to line up. Right. A lot of details like that. Yeah, especially with the movement that you have. Like, that was yeah. very accurate. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm working from existing artwork and it's in a character who's not standing straight up and I have to work out what, you know, how that was scaled to me if I'm in that pose and everything. Right. Now, do you have any future projects coming up that we can look forward to? Yeah, I've got a few in the works. Um, I'm working on uh, a Mario riding Yoshi pixelated from Super Mario World. Uh, so Yoshi's head will be a hand puppet. And, <laughs> and Mario's, up, the upper half is, is me, it's Mario. That's um, so cute. I got a few others. I, I'm, doing, I'm working on a, a Paper Mario. Because um, I wanted to adapt this into like cartoons too, see if I can do, still get the same 2D effect. Mm -hmm. um, there's one that I've been working on for a while it's a really technical challenge i want to do a uh, little mac and doc lewis from punch out with the bicycle i want a, a complete pixelated bicycle it sounds and like that would take a long time yeah, it's yeah, very it's, complicated it's, it's been a lot of planning i have to find exactly the right bicycle that the existing artwork will mask it correctly right um so that's it's been tricky to figure out Definitely. Wow. Well, we definitely love all of the work that you've done. Thank you. Um, do you do stuff on like Twitch and stuff? Do you like video game live or? No, I've, I've never done any streaming yet. You so should. Uh, I guess <laughs> then we can follow to. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again for the interview. I really appreciate it. Just to oh, let them know me. again where they can find you. Dan Cattell Art. Um, it's C A T T E L L. Mm -hmm. And then I'll post the links under this uh, podcast as well, and then he can follow you. Yeah, thanks for right. coming out to visit me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Yeah. Excellent interview. Great job, CA. Yeah. As always. Yes, yes, yes. So sorry I couldn't have been there. That it's been always fun. tough when you're live on location because you got people talking in the background and whatnot, but I thought that turned out pretty good. No doubt. No doubt. Good times. That's good audio equipment. That little, uh, that little handheld thing. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It works pretty good, right? I like it because it comes with like a little SD card inside, and you can just pop that out and slide it into your computer. I mean, if you have that slot. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah, it's got the different different options. Yeah, you got that, or you can plug in the the USB, take it from there either. And it's got way. the XLR port, so you can just you know plug in like a regular microphone if you don't want to use the ones that are on it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's got the ones on top, and then you have that one has uh, two that you can put out it actually does four the zoom it's the zoom h4 h5 actually oh really and you can get a new a different port for the top which has two more mic xlr cables that'll go out oh that's cool i didn't know yeah that. and i actually just purchased the h6 which actually has six mic outputs it's got four native and then you can purchase that extra thing on top, just like for the other one. Sure, sure. And it has two more, yeah. So really cool. Yeah, the Zoom equipment. That's neat. You could host like your own, uh, like a lecture or something like that. You know why I got it? Because I've been doing, the, we just did, I, we've been announcing it. I did the Philly um, podcast convention. And so I do the live sound for everybody and I record their podcast. Sure, sure. So there's like, it was like 30 different podcasters. So I get all my gear from my basement where we do our podcast. I have my big mixer. Uh, I have my my six channel mixer. Mm-hmm. I get all my wires, my cables. I have a speaker, PA speaker. I bring uh, stands and all that good stuff. So I'm thinking, you know what? If I keep doing this, this is a real pain in the butt. I so I ended up getting the H6. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm just going to bring that. I'm yeah, going right. to record with that. Don't need the mixer. I'm just going to run the wires right into that. It'll be a little less a uh, little less work. That is a shame though because uh normally by taking all the stuff out of your basement, that's once a year where you can totally dust off your desk <laughs> and clean everything down and you know. Yeah. Now spring it's cleaning. Be, yes. Yeah. I know. Now dust bunnies everywhere. Yes. How about we get into the uh, news? Let's do it. Sounds good. This week in the news, uh, I would say that the most boring of the things that we have so far, but still mildly interesting, was the fact that Twitter's stock this week went down 9% on rumors that they were cracking down on fake accounts. I thought this was kind of interesting because if you think about it, cracking down on the fake robots that we have on Twitter is the responsible thing to do. Sure. They're not really adding to the productivity of the website and they are you know definitely spamming people on a regular basis uh but unfortunately because some of those robots actually buy some of the fake advertising that you hear about on the news um it actually is technically getting rid of some of their sources of revenue Uh and so that's what the people are reacting to at least in theory on the stock market uh is that you know that sudden drop in revenue uh, might cause a problem and so the stock dip I, I guess it doesn't mean the same thing because it's not a it's not a uh, fake account but th- somebody has our steel empire there's and they haven't used it in years I think they did maybe two tweets and they're it's some nonsense that so sucks. we couldn't get steel empire we so that's why we had to do at Empire steel it's the only thing on social media that's backwards for us so well this might be the month to kind of keep an eye out for that because yeah I was just thinking those that. dead accounts yeah right um, yeah, yeah, it might I come up for so. grabs. Nice. I know Facebook dumps accounts every now and then, and I finally, after like three years of not using my account, they finally got rid of it. So Facebook is all right. I mean, I like it, except it's mostly like videos of cats doing weird things. Yeah, and you know stuff that I, I don't know. I just don't have time for anymore. Yeah, I think uh, Facebook is good for family and friends, like to keep in touch. Yeah. Just throwing up some random stuff, pictures of your kids, stuff. That's fine. Other than that, yeah, I use it for the business. Uh, so I don't even have my own 
personal thing. It's just it's just all podcasting voiceover stuff. Yeah, because Twitter only lets you have 280 characters. When you talk to your family on Twitter, <laughs> they think you hate them. <laughs> and it was worse before, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no arranging a family reunion on Twitter. <laughs> all right. So, our next piece of news uh, is subtitled Dirty Thoughts. Ooh. Where's CA when you need her? Have you ever been to the library? Yes, I have. Once or twice. Perfect. Oh, the younger members of our audience have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, a what? Have you ever, like, picked up a book and there has been, like, a stick figure drawn in the book uh, with, like, an anatomically devastating center of gravity altering penis, like, on the stick figure? <laughs> I actually have not seen that. Well, so this happens from time to time. Have you ever picked up a book in the library and it smells like garlic? No. That's good, because if you pick up a book in the library and it smells like garlic, that's probably because it's covered in arsenic. Oh. Yes. There is a gentleman in uh, Denmark, and his name is Jacob Pavel Halk. <laughs> True name. Not making that up. He is a librarian, and he works uh, in the uh, rare book section. And He discovered three books, which are covered in a pigment called Paris Green. And the other name of Paris Green, uh, for those of you who are scientists out there, is <laughs> Copper 2 Acetate Triarsenite. Mm. Uh, the arsenite being arsenic. And uh, it turns out that over time, as bacteria land on the book, either through you know people touching it or just you know the natural shuffling around of books, um, those bacteria can eat through the Paris Green and release the arsenic into the air. Wow. Yes. So he found these three books, which smelled a lot like garlic, and he put them aside, had them tested, and it turned out, of course, that they had arsenic in them. So now they are still in the library, but they are in a very special box, uh, which has a big-ass sticker on the front of it that says, uh, you know, beware, uh, must wear gloves, must wear mask, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you want to see these particular rare books, uh, you have to uh, take precaution. So what's the deal? Like, how did this happen? So it know? turns out that arsenic is a very lovely green color. And back in the day, there was actually um, uh, a, an active use of arsenic in ink. Um, there was, oh. uh, in the 1800s, there was actually children who died uh, because they would, I mean, you know, kids put all kinds of stuff into their mouth. Sure. Um, they would touch the wallpaper of their house. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. if it was green, chances are it had the arsenic in it, and it would ah. it was killing kids in the 1800s, and this was a regular occurrence. And just like uh, closer to our time was the the lead in the paint. Yes, a lot of kids were getting that. Sick actually, from that. ended in the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's not yeah, that's 50 years not ago. Not too far away. Yeah. And there is actually a book out there called Death by Wallpaper, um, which uh, talks about Paris Green and the you know the, the toxicity of it. Wow. Yeah. So next in the news this week, uh, the United States Postal Service had an unfortunate uh, ruling against them in court. Uh -oh. It turns out that not too long ago, uh, in 2010, the U.S. Postal Service got together uh, with their artists and decided that they wanted to create a new stamp. Uh, this stamp would feature the Statue of Liberty and uh, would be one of the forever stamps that you buy. It doesn't have a price on it. It's just yeah, yeah. You know, whatever the price is at the time. All right. They found this great photograph of the Statue of Liberty, and they decided to use it. And so they printed up all the stamps, and they sold them for three years. And then one day, sculptor Robert Davidson got a letter in the mail. 
And he looked at the stamp and realized that that was not the Statue of Liberty in New York. It was his Statue of Liberty, which is in front of the New York, New York Hotel in Las Vegas. Wow. It actually is very distinct in that Lady Liberty, when you look at her uh, like on Liberty Island in New York, has a very uh, sculpted face, a very stern look about her. Yeah. yeah versus yeah. the one in uh, Las Vegas, which is more family friendly. She's got a big old smile and uh, some very nice, tender eyes, huh. uh, if you will. So uh, he recognized her immediately and then sued the United States Postal Service for using his art, which technically is the wrong thing to do. Wow. It turns out that the U.S. Postal Service uh, had no idea that this was not of the one in New York. I think they typed in Lady Liberty into Getty Images, the the stock photography site, and downloaded, you know, what they just happened to see. Right. Uh, And then found out later that it was not of the actual Statue of Liberty. So the court awarded the sculptor $3.5 million dollars. Uh, for the use of his likeness, which covers all of the profit from the stamps. And now, so let's talk about that. Whenever you get a stamp from the Postal Service, um, you know, let's say you pay 49 cents, 47 cents of it goes to the uh, cost of moving around the stamp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if it's attached to a letter or a box or something like that. And then the other 2% goes to the Postal Service. Well, think about this. There are people out there who collect stamps. And so those stamps are pure profit because they go into a book and they're never used. So he actually was given the money from the stamps that were never used because those stamps are considered art as opposed to the stamps on the box, which are considered functional. And so he was not given any of the money from the functional stamps, only from the ones that were sold as collectibles. And that's three point five million, just the collectibles. Three point five million dollars. So yeah. if it was everything, it would be more than that, a lot more. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it wow. would have been uh, tens of millions. That's crazy. Now, couldn't you though? Couldn't you blame like Getty Images or something? I mean, don't they probably pay Getty Images to get the images? So Getty Images um, uh, only handles the rights to the photograph. Um, and so when you use a photograph, if it's for a, uh, like a student project or your own personal use, there's no, you know, the, the sculptor can't sue you for that. Um, if you were to use it on a billboard or something like that, you technically have to investigate where that sculpture came from and then get permission from the artist. That is also true of any photograph of, um, let's say like a piece of art in a gallery uh, if it's like modern art, uh, you, know, you don't have to you don't have to pay for something that's you know past like the 1800s or something like that. Um, but you know, like that's also true if let's say um, like a friend of yours was singing a song uh, that was like a pop song. Technically, if you wanted to use that in like an advertisement, even if it's your friend singing the song, you have to get permission from the songwriter. It's the same sort of deal. Right. No, I mean it makes sense. Not you know when you know it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I think the lesson here is that uh, if you want to get rich quick, uh, become a sculptor, carve up some Mount Rushmores, right? Take photographs of them, put them up on Getty Images, and cross your fingers. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then our final news story today, in Iceland, 
there is now one less mountain. Uh, there was a, a mountain range that had several mountains in it, and one of them collapsed. Oh. Uh, it turns out that the mountain was mostly hollow, uh, researchers think, and had uh, what they assume would probably be like a waterfall inside or some sort of like open cavernous area. Um, due to two events, uh, one of them being uh, global warming and the other one being a massive amount of rainfall that happened uh, this past month, um, they think what happened was that the mountain in question filled up with water and it created so much pressure, you know, think like water behind a dam, yeah. um, that eventually the dam burst and the mountain gave way. There is a massive mud flow, and I couldn't even describe to you. It is enough mud to have covered over a, uh, a modern American city like New York or Chicago wow. and bury it a foot deep. It is a massive amount of mud that actually has caked over a nearby river. So in addition to losing one of their mountains, they also now have a brand new lake, which is filling up, and they have no idea what's going to happen with it <laughs> because it was an unplanned dam. Huh. Uh, they actually have another glacier called the Svinneveld. It's next to a lagoon. And uh, because so many tourists come out like on boats to watch the ice fall off of the glacier, yeah. uh, they're worried that if this mountain goes, it could cause a tsunami or some sort of other you know, wave event, it might not be a tsunami, right, right. Um, that could capsize a boat and cause a, you know, like a serious problem. So they're warning people away from that particular glacier. Right, right. Huh. Now, um, are you going to try to read that URL? Sound that out. <laughs> that is crazy. The one for the mountain one? Yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, after the numbers, yeah. If you are interested in this story, uh, you could go to www.vizier.is slash g slash 201-818-0709-131 slash dash theta dash er dash bind dash afflidig dash af dash thesum dash miklu dash rigningigamum dash yeah, that's all. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that article will be in Icelandic, so I uh, hope you're fluent. <laughs> um, Google, Google uh, Translate can help you out with that. Nice. Yeah, Iceland. No mosquitoes, high chance of mountain collapse. <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's their new tourism motto. Nice. And Iceland is the one that actually has more green, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Greenland's got more ice. They thought they found out they were kind of Correct. misnamed. The Nords um, incorrectly labeled the island on purpose because they didn't want people to come there because oh. it was full of hot springs and great places to hang out. So they called Iceland, they called the icy place Greenland and the greeny place Iceland. Nice. Yeah, it's very clever. Those Nords. Clever. And now from our sponsor. It's promo time. Hey, Dave. What's up, Grizz? Did you know that our presenting sponsor this week, Tabletop Loot, has an entire page of their website dedicated to testimonials? I did not know that. Yes. It turns out that if you order your dice from Tabletop Loot and like them, you can leave a message letting them know. What if you did not like the dice? Assuming that there was such a person, which I doubt, we have an interdimensional portal <laughs> that would take care of them. Will you help me read some of these? Uh, sure. Great. You go first. Oh, okay. 
Gorgeous dice. Super fast shipping and delivery. The prices are great, and the dice are just really gorgeous. A fantastic place to buy dice. Signed, Irene. Okay, okay, I got one. I love this dice company. They are the only online service I use to order dice. The shipping is so fast, the customer service is amazing, and the dice are beautiful. Thank you, TTL, for everything you do. Signed, Keely. Selection, bomb. Discounts and promos, bomb. Expediency, bomb. I assume she means duh bomb. We have purchased multiple sets of dice from TTL, and we have been more than pleased with their inventory, responsiveness, and shipping times. We highly recommend using TTL for your rolling needs. Signed, Hannah. Eggs, milk, butter. Wait, that's something else. (laughs) What did I do with the fourth one? (laughs) Listeners, if you'd like to read the fourth one and dozens of other posts, you're going to have to head on over to tabletoploot.com right now and click on Reach Out to Us to have a look. And while you're there, check out the new nerd-approved shirts they have available. Ooh, tabletop loot, loot for every table. And now, back to our show. And now it's time for Grizz's Games. So this week, um, I just wanted to talk about real quick, uh, there's a group called the Australian Classification Board. Mm. And originally, uh, this group was specifically designed for movies. Uh, it was their job to rate movies, just like America has a rating board, and so does the European Union. Right. Um, however, for whatever reason, uh, in America, we actually created a second organization whose job it was was to classify video games. Uh, they're known as the ESRB. Um, right. But in Australia, they did not create a second organization. They just decided, well, the movie people must be really good at rating things, so we'll have them also rate video games. Mm. In my opinion, this has been catastrophic. Uh, No doubt. You know, movie people, you know, watching a movie is a very passive experience. Playing a video game is a very active experience. And I feel like these people just haven't understood what this is all about. Um, The original board began in 1970. For the most part, not really what you would call a video game crowd. Hmm. On multiple occasions, they have denied permission for a game to be sold in Australia. So now the way that the law works in Australia is that if the game doesn't receive a rating at all, it cannot be sold in Australia. So it must go through the ratings board. Hmm. This is, in my opinion, a cash grab. That's crazy. I feel like they are that you know they do that specifically because each of these companies has to pay this board a lot of money, and then if they're denied, they have to pay the money again. I mean, there's a lot of things like that though. The cash grabs. Yes. Well, I'm hunting them down one by one and then uh, exposing them here on the podcast. I love it. You heard it here first, folks. Well, the reason why this came up is because uh, so there's a company called Gearbox Publishing, and they they're a publisher, not a developer. Um, so they work with developers to actually get the games out into the world. Uh, Gearbox submitted a game to all, to the Australian Classification Board, and the name of the game was We Happy Few. Ah, uh-huh. We Happy Few is a game that I'm actually very excited about. The developer for this game is Compulsion Games, which was the company that made Contrast. If you have not played Contrast, 
you absolutely owe it to yourself to play that game. It is one of the best games that I have ever Tell played. Tell me why. I'd be happy to. It's a platformer where you play as a ghost. You are a former circus performer who is a ghost who can transform into a shadow. And so what you see when you're playing the game, it's a side scroller. So you're looking from a, from a side point of view. Yeah. You uh, are interacting with a world whereby, let's say there's a ball. Okay. Um, and then right next to the ball, there's a seesaw. Well, those two things by themselves don't really help you out at all, but they've cast a shadow onto the wall. And so if you look on the wall, you'll see that if you become the shadow, you know, like part of the shadow on the wall, like an actual walking shadow, you can then use those props to jump up to places that you can't get (gasps) to. If there's like a like a balcony or something like that, you can actually jump into the wall as a shadow, use the shadows to climb up oh, to the balcony, snap. and then reappear on the balcony. That's crazy. It's a really interesting puzzle game. It's got a fantastic story about a little girl who lost her mom, and you know she's she befriends you. It's it's excellent. It's absolutely excellent. Wow. I could not recommend this game more. It's called Contrast. While you're talking, I just clicked on the link. Yeah, it's it's showing it on Steam, and it's yes. playing a video clip of it of gameplay. Wow, it really looks cool. It's a dreamlike, surreal 1920s world. Wow, it is. It's very Carnival. Uh, if you remember the HBO show Carnival, um, yeah. it has like that aesthetic, that feel to it. It's it almost has like a griminess. Yeah. Um, really cool, really cool game. Cool, ten bucks on Steam. So anyway, um, Compulsion Games is trying to release We Happy Few. We Happy Few has that same kind of grimy aesthetic, except it's based in an alternative 1960s world where, and uh, forgive me, we're gonna have to, you're going to have to work with me here a little bit. All of the citizens are required by the government to take a drug to keep them under control. All right. This is important to the rest of uh, this particular news story. Uh, and it's called uh, Joy is the name of the drug. And so if you don't take your joy, the cops will come and force you to take your joy. And so the game is about a guy who goes off of his joy and realizes that the government is keeping everybody basically stoned in order to keep power. And so he uh, like exits his like little pod um, you know, you live in like uh, like a bunker, if you will. Okay. Um, he, he exits the bunker and goes out into the world to try to stop what's happening. And the cops are chasing him. And then people who are on Joy, they get freaked out because basically this guy is a criminal. You know, he's, cr- he's engaging in criminal action. Yeah. And so they want, they want to run away. They want to deal with you. And so you have to fake joy you know like pretend like you're zonked out every now and then this thing looks really good it's not out yet you can't play it it's coming out sometime in the in the fall um so you know uh, i'll probably play this and i'll let you know how it is um but it's a very brave new world meets orwell's 1984 you know a, a twisted universe where the government is in control of you but now we go back to the australian classification board oh it comes back it comes back. Look at you. The game came up for review, and the Australian Classification Board oh. didn't understand Orwell or Brave New World. They just saw drugs, and so they refused to rate it 
in Australia because it, it glorified drug use. And so they said that that was bad. And so you know, <laughs> Compulsion Games panicked and called up Gearbox and said, what the hell is going on? And so Gearbox has been fighting with the Australian Classification Board saying, no, you misunderstood the plot of our game. And finally, uh, this week, it uh, was given approval as a uh, R18+, plus, oh my which God. is the second highest restriction. Adults only. If you sell it to kids, you can go to jail. Um, it's beaten only by an X18+, plus, which is literally four pornographic games, and they've only given out that rating, I think, 10 times oh. over the course of you know, 50 years. Ridiculous. Yes. So, but this is, and this is why I brought it up. Um, I feel like the Australian Classification Board has had for some time way too much power. Um, it benefits the local government types who all get a cut from what the Australian Classification Board makes yeah. in fees. So they're not too keen on fixing the situation, but this is broken. You know, this, this thing is broken. In the past, the ACB has uh, refused classification for all of the Grand Theft Auto games. Yeah. Fallout 3, 50 Cent's game, which is, uh, it's called Bulletproof. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm not debating, you know, there's a lot of grimy stuff that happens in these games. You know, people get shot and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not saying, like, they shouldn't have a high rating, you know, that R18 rating. I'm fine with that. But you should rate them. You shouldn't say, you know, because I disagree with what's in this game, I refuse to have it sold in Australia. Like, I feel like that's, you know, Orwellian. Yeah, if they have a, you know, X-rated type, I mean, yeah, you'd rate that. What what the heck? So you got to give it something, even if you hate it. Absolutely. I said the level, like you said, the movies versus games, it's such a difference. You know, playing a video game, it's, I mean, even... My personal thing with with like Grand Theft, I, I hate this the uh, the gangster and the cursing. It's just it's, it's overboard. It's just it's just gratuitous. It's too much. And but the gameplay is amazing. And a lot of people play online. The multiplayer is great. There's a lot of good stuff in that in that game. Yeah, the online but, thing is huge. Yeah. So and I can see that. Like I tried sitting down and playing the you know the regular play, and I was like, oh, this is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just it's just so over the top I don't care for this but that's me but you know there still has to be a rating some people want to play it and it doesn't mean you're going to go out and shoot you shoot the woman on the street and beat the hooker uh, yeah right crazy. well and that comes back to you know uh, part of the reason why these classification boards exist is because there has been a debate over the past 60 years that um, uh, media you know video games movies music yeah. whatever uh, can somehow spark violence in people um, I disagree with that point of view, but for those people who do believe in that point of view, they see the the ACB as a a defender of you know morality, and you know uh, I think that's a shame. I mean, these are people who refuse to uh, give a rating to Aliens versus Predator because it had blood in it. No, like you know it, it's nitpicky and, and very inconsistent. That's crazy. So I feel like Australia should fix that, but you know. <laughs> Um, I'm one dude. Don't hold your breath. Yeah, right. We are controlling transmission. It's that time again, right? It is that time again. You're going to be my only box. <laughs> Don't ever say that in public again. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for... What's in the box? Nice. Box, box, box. Are you ready? 
I am ready. All right. You and your rented yak Molly have spent nearly two days inside of Garrett's thicket. In addition, a new overly adorable mimic has joined your motley band, riding in a makeshift sling added to Molly's supply sack. Now, deep into the darkening forest, the light fades as you desperately seek out a good spot to camp. However, the thick undergrowth and tightly packed collection of gaunt trees thwart every inspection. Even the trail itself grows hostile as vines hang down from the canopy above, harassing your forehead as you progress in the dark. Luckily, your experience as an adventurer leaves you prepared for such a thing. You rummage through your reserve inventory and produce a lantern. You're about to light it using a flintstone when you take note of another light already lit further down the path. Is it a distant town? Is it a midway tavern? Is it a forest fire? You make your way towards the light, eventually finding yourself walking in near blackness guided only by a handheld lantern, your tender tootsies, and the mercurial promises of the mystery flame. In the darkness, the frogs remind you of their nocturnal advantages, but grow quieter with each step towards the beacon. The forest is so thick that even when you are within 100 yards of the source of the light, you can't tell what it is until you pass the very last tree. But then, as you step into a clearing, you see that the light is emanating from a very crowded candelabra hanging from the front porch of a gnarled and crumbling abode. The house, if you can call it that, is constructed between two massive trees that blot out the diamonds in the star-filled sky above. The posts of the building are twisted and raw, held together by old vines and other natural materials. The walls consist of dozens of hastily attached planks of misshapen wood. The candles have burned down to nearly the base, and the wax lies in clumps on the deck. Hanging from the porch beside the lantern are all manner of knickknacks. You see a dozen different dream danglers. You see a multitude of makeshift macrame. You see a plethora of polluted planters. But then you noticed a shiver of shrunken skulls. The idea of heading back out into the inky black forest does not appeal to you at all, and it's distinctly possible that wandering through the darkness could get you injured. But you are equally concerned about the occupants of such a disturbingly eclectic mystery hut, which, as always, is considered for all intents and purposes to be a box. Despite shouts from your better angels, you knock on the door several times, and there is no answer. But clearly, someone lit the lamp. Another rap at the door offers still more silence. Even the frogs hold their tongues. You steal your courage and open the door, ever mindful of the location of your Samshire. My question for you is this. What's in the box? <laughs> it never gets old. <laughs> <sighs> the wood plank hut. In the middle of the woods. All right, so... My first instinct was to say it was going to be um, like some kind of a warp, uh, like portal. Ooh. Would, as soon as you go in, it would take you to a different location. So I'm trying to think, well, what kind of cool location? And then my mind just switched over to Skyrim. So there's tons of mods for Skyrim. Sure. And do you know Skyrim mods? Do you play with the mods? So I haven't done anything with the mods, but I played the game. Okay. Yeah, love the game. 
Um, for 5,000 hours. Yeah, yeah, love it. And now it's just, you know, you go back and play it a million times, and there's so many mods, it's just, it's like a whole new game. So anyway, mm. uh, there's some cool mods where you can just OP. You don't have to, like, just turn on God mode or anything, but you have, you'll have, like, your own your own fortress that you can carry around with you. Like, there's this one, I forget the name of it, it's Froggle Rocks Fortress or something. I know I'm not saying that right. But you go find this ring. It's it's down somewhere near this one of these lakes, and you got to search for it. You find the ring. Whenever you put the ring on, you get transported into this this building. And then when you take it off, the building becomes this. Uh, no, not take the ring off. When when you when you come into the building, this giant fortress. It's like a tower. It's like uh, two floors. And then when you take this cube, it looks like a Rubik's cube that's lit up. You take it off the pedestal. It goes into your inventory, and then it's basically you carry it around with you. The fortress. Nice. And it's just when you put the ring on, you can... What you do is the ring will always send you back there. So you can set up a shop at a place anywhere you want in any town. And then anywhere you are, you put that ring on, it's automatic portal right back to the to the um, fortress. That's convenient. So I'm thinking it would be something like that. And the fortress is totally hooked up. So you walk in there, there's a fire. There's You can have your own servants in there. All the rooms you know, are full. With with your gear, you know, with with your uh, uh, with your weapons, with your you know, just full of armor, uh, weapons of every kind you can think of. There's a blacksmith spot. There's a a, a smithy thing where you can uh, smelting. Smelting, yeah, okay. Yes. So you, there's a smelter there, uh, the tanning thing, everything that you find, you know, in the world, it's all inside your fortress. So that's what I see. So you walk into here and shoop, it takes you to that fortress. And then from there, you can go wherever you want. So is it like you open up the door, and when you look like to your right and your left, like it's a very nice wallpapered interior uh, yeah. know, of some other place? I imagine, yeah, you open that door. You're thinking it's just going to be this wood shack, right? And yeah. so you open the door, and you see this beautiful living room, a roaring fire with a big giant, you know, like oriental rug or something, just everything, a little, you know, pine trees in the back. That's cool. The small trees. Yeah, it just looks like, what the heck is this? And then when you step in, it becomes this fortress, which is huge. So um, we have the armor thing. I assume that you're going to have, like, like an inventory chest or something like that. Oh, yeah. Put and stuff. The, the ch- there's chests that you can empty. You can empty your stuff into them. And there's some chests that have there are tons, tons of stuff in them already. But, yeah, you do have chests that you can throw your stuff. There's even the the, uh, the case. And this is – I just stole this from a mod that I know. So I think it would work great in this. Uh, and there's even, like, display cases you can put your daggers in, stuff like that. It's crazy. It's just everything you can dream of. Now, is there, like, a um, like a tavern or any sort of, like, bar in here? No, no, no. But there is there is a kitchen. And what's cool, too, you get followers in there. And you can, you know, part of the dialogue, it switches over. And you can send your followers, when you're done with them, go back to my house. I want you to, to live with me. And they go back there. Next time you go in, they're there. It's crazy. Nice. Yeah, it's wild. Finally, a place to drop this rock. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. So cool. I like it. I win. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and not by default, because you were very clever. Did you have an idea when you made this? What you thought it would be? Um, well, certainly I know what's coming up next week. Ah, okay, that's right. Um, but you know, just uh, off the fly. So uh, when you open the door, inside there's a 
Well, here's the thing. So I know what's going to happen next week, and it's going to be inside. Yeah, so don't say it. That's fine. All right. Well, no, I'm going to give you another what's happening on the inside, okay? But it won't be what happens next week. Okay. So when you step inside, uh, there is a uh, an imp, uh, and he's uh-huh. got, like, the long pointy ears, and he's old, like, you know, white whiskers, and, uh-huh. you know, he's, he's wrinkled and, you know, really, really, really old. And he's got, like, a little cane. And so he kind of was like on his way to the door and then you come bursting through, right? Ah. And you got your hand you got your hand on like the handle of your sword and you're looking at him and you're like, Hello. <laughs> and so he informs you that uh, this is actually a bank for the imps and that you can deposit things in the bank, um, you know, if you're willing to go up to one of the tellers. And you see that there's actually um, like three tables set up. And one of them has another imp sitting at it. And then the one next to it has like a kobold sitting at it. And then the one next to that, you you see like a massive ogre. He's humongous. Uh. And he totally can't fit at this table. And you see him trying to like, you know, get comfortable or whatever. Yeah. And there are, each of them is like a different, um, you know, teller at the bank. Ah, that's crazy. If you need like a loan, you can go to the ogre. And if you need to drop something, you know, like actually put something in, you can, uh, you know, go to the imp. And then the cobalt is in charge of mortgages. Very cool. Yeah, but I can see, though, they're usually the bad guys that you fight in the world. So you're ready to brawl when you walk in there. Yeah, right. Hmm. So mis- so much misunderstandings, you know. So many <laughs> Never know. Well, what would D&D be without the misunderstandings? That's true. That's true. That's true. I love it. Time to wrap it up? Yes, sir. So this month, uh, in exactly 17 days. Wow. Or I guess 15 days from when you hear this. uh, The Thread Raiders birthday extravaganza. What? We are doing a major event. We're going to have as many Thread Raiders on as is humanly possible. Uh, Everybody's doing all kinds of podcasts and streams and all kinds of great stuff. So there's going to be a lot of content on that day. That's Saturday, July the 28th. Uh, and you should come hang out with us because it's going to be a blast. All right. And then, of course, uh, in August, that following week, August 2nd through the 5th, is Gen Con. Gen Con 2018. Um, and I personally will be there running games, GMing at D&D 5E Games for Kobold Press. It's a cool one-shot we're going to do. Um, and then I know that CA is going to be there as well, Chaotic. Yep. I know my daughter, Amara, who is the GM of our game, uh, Quest for Magic and Steel. She's going to be there. And uh, they're going to be hanging out, meeting people. I know CA's already got like a full list of things she's going to be doing, meeting up with a bunch of people from social media. And uh, we're going to do a special get-together as well. Uh, it's looking like Wednesday night is going to probably be the best time because we're going to be so busy once things get rolling. Um but we're going to be doing a, a interview uh, with each other and a question and answer thing. So um, we're going to talk about Thread Raiders. We're going to talk about uh, my show, Arc City, um, the audio drama, and of course D&D and all that good stuff. So. And then finally, uh, we want to remind you that uh, we are involved in the Extra Life Fundraiser, which is uh, we're trying to raise money for uh, children's hospitals around uh I don't know if it's around the United States or around the world, but you know, whoever needs it. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's through a company called Extra Life. Uh, you can find them on extralife.com. And if you type in Thread Raiders, you can find us. But of course, you don't have to necessarily sponsor the Thread Raiders if there's somebody else you know uh, who would be willing to, you know, uh, start up a page and try to raise money for kids. Uh, that would be really great. Um, for our project, we actually are going to have uh, November 3rd through the 4th uh, a major event. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what all is going to be part of that yet. It's still a little early, but it will be, uh, I think, 24 hours of gaming, yeah. um, which mm -hmm. will include you know uh, uh, all kinds of different stuff involving Thread Raiders, D&D games, regular board games, um, video games. We've got all kinds yeah. of stuff that we're uh, trying to pull together there. So it's going to be a huge event. Um, we're taking donations now. And then of course on the day of, if you donate, uh, we're going to have all kinds of like special things where you can change the fate of characters and stuff like that. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit, uh, closer to the date in October. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's head on out. Let's, uh, just thank everybody so much for, uh, tuning in and listening to our show. Thanks to our interviewee, uh, Dan Cattell, a cosplayer from too many games. We also want to thank our uh, steadfast sponsor, Tabletop Looch. And for those of you who are listening on iTunes, uh, if you could give us a review, that would really help others to uh, find our podcast and make us bigger and better. And uh, the more we have listening, the uh, more effective we can be at changing the face of Australia's gaming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who are new to the Thread Raiders, you can check us out on threadraiders.com. We have links to all of our social media platforms uh you know facebook youtube everything that we got and also you know links to uh the extra life page and you know all the all the different things that we're involved in so you can check us out on that one-stop shop everything you need that's right fantastic and there you go